This is a podcast by The Straits Times and Money FM 89.3. That's on the week where we turn our attention to news coming out of the region. Mm, and certainly, we have been talking so much about the resumption of air travel between Changi Airport and KLIA, the Kuala Lumpur International Airport, without quarantine from November 29th. But where does that leave us in terms of land travel between the two countries? Something that's also being increasingly discussed. And for the past three weeks, Indonesia is seeing a mutation of the deadly Delta variant of the coronavirus, or COVID-19. That's led to a spike in COVID-19 cases in eight cities there. And in the Philippines, we're also going to be looking at this development. The eldest daughter of Philippine President Rodrigo Duterte will be running for VP. Uh, what would that entail? Let's find out more from uh, Straits Times Regional Correspondent Leslie Lopez. Leslie, good morning. How are you, man? I'm doing good, Elliot. Good morning, Buffy. Good morning. I uh, was very excited last week about that uh, reopening of air travel happening from November 29th. But the debate is always going to be around the reopening of uh, some kind of a land VTL scheme. What are you hearing right now? And, and mind you, like Singapore, you know, Denmark, even the EU plays Singapore as a high risk country. Of course, that could change in a couple of weeks. What are you hearing now with regard to this? Well, you know, the, there's some good news here. We're hearing that the BTL between Malaysia and Singapore could actually be launched in a few weeks. This is according to Trade Industry Minister Kang Kim Yong. And this suggests that both sides, clearly there, there is confidence on both sides that both countries are handling the crisis well uh, to the satisfaction, really, clearly, of both governments. And that they are willing to take the step, you know, that uh, that will reopen. And, you know, this will be major because before the pandemic, Woodlands uh, Causeway and the Tuas Second Link saw about like more than 400,000 travelers daily. You know, so this clearly is going to free up uh, travel. And I think it's going to be it's going to be that boost that everyone's looking for for the economies on both sides of the causeway. You know, so much anticipated. Everyone's hoping that you know this thing pans out, and you know Christmas could be kind of different again this year. Mm. But what what about that fear of a resurgence of another COVID nineteen wave as a result of more open travel? Well, you know that that is always going to be there, and I think you know it is going. to boil down to all to individuals that everyone needs to take care follow SOPs and that's the only way we're going to get out of this you know there's only so much governments can do and ultimately it will boil down to each and every one of us you know just to be responsible you know and to you know take care of ourselves I mean there's really no running away from this mm. Actually, and, and that itself is very difficult. You know, humans who want to follow the rules. Uh, the yeah. new AY.23 mutation, this uh, originated in Indonesia, according to what we're seeing. It's got some similarities with uh, the Delta Plus variant that we're seeing out of Britain. With regard to this mutation, what are you hearing? They, I understand there are eight cities affected. How are they dealing with it? Well, you know, the eight cities that have recorded this uptrend in the new cases are... Uh, Leba in the Bantin province, Sumendang in West Java, Pubralinga in Kendal in Central Java, Tuban in East Java, and places in West Papua too, and including another place in Sulawesi, uh, Southeast mm-hmm. Sulawesi. So, the, according to the Indonesian government and the Indonesian health authorities, they believe that they've got the issue contained because it was uh, they passed the peak of the Delta wave. 
So immunity is there, they contend, and they believe that this thing, the spike, the worrying has been handled. And I think all we can do is track the numbers as we go. And this is going to be very important if Malaysia, if Indonesia and Singapore are going to open their VTLs. Right, for sure. I'm sure this will impact uh, those discussions on the bilateral VTL to some extent, for sure, right? Yeah, exactly. It's all going to be, you know, taking things as they play out and, you know, just being extra careful. This podcast is available on our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us. And now, back to our podcast episode. Mm. I'd also like to talk about this uh, other issue Apparently, payments have been made in cash to naval officers or bank transfers to intermediaries uh, who claim that they represent the Indonesian Navy. Uh, the naval Indonesian Naval Fleet Commander has responded that no payments were made to the Navy, no intermediaries were employed. What could possibly be representing the Indonesian Navy if no intermediaries were employed in a legal case? What could this be about? And perhaps you could explain the connections with piracy within Indonesian waters. This really refers to uh, ships that have been anchored just off the Indonesian waters, allegedly without authority. And these vessels have been slapped with payments. I think Reuters reported that, you know, dozens of ship owners have made payments of about 300,000 US piece, you know, for through intermediaries, some directly through, this, through naval officers. Uh, this has been denied. I don't know whether we're going to get to the bottom of this story until someone comes out, steps up to the plate and says, yes, I made this payment. This were the bank transfers and who these intermediaries are. We're not going to find out exactly. But, you know, ships coming under these kind of strong arm tactics is not something that we've not heard before. The question is, how far can we we drill down the story, you know, to really say this happened and this happened to these vessels. I think these, that's going to be important to find out specific cases where this thing happened. Whether you'd want to call this piracy, I wouldn't go that far at this point. We're on the line this morning with Straits Times uh, regional correspondent Leslie Lopez. Leslie, let's turn our attention to Myanmar. Back in July, the Myanmar junta had cancelled results of the electoral polls after uncovering more than 11 million instances of voter irregularities. Okay, what does this mean where electoral fraud claims are concerned? What does this mean for Aung San Suu Kyi? They are stepping up the pressure on her, and the other side is also stepping up the pressure. There's no, there's no sign that this crisis is showing any, you know, is heading towards any kind of path where we can see some kind of resolution, some kind of people turning, uh, coming to the negotiation table. The military clearly is determined to break the back of the NLD, and the general thinking is that. These new charges are basically designed to allow for the military to ultimately declare the NLD illegal, you know, and uh, rip the opponents of the military of any kind of a political platform. You know, how far this will, what this will do for the uh, opposition movement remains to be seen. But I think from what's happened in the in recent months, we can we can only. Uh, See that uh, I mean, believe that this is going to get. This is just going to intensify between both sides. Mm. Yes. 
Now, Leslie, a quick look at uh, the Philippines, something we mentioned earlier. Uh, Sarah Duterte Carpio, the eldest daughter of Philippine President Rodrigo Duterte, has filed her candidacy for VP. She did so last Saturday, running under the coalition party Partido Federal and Laka CMD. Opinion polls this year apparently ranked her as the number one presidential prospect. How do you expect this to pan out? And also considering she's running under a different political party, are there conflict of interest issues? Well, I don't know about, I, I wouldn't say conflict of interest, but this really suggests how interesting this the, the Philippine presidential campaign is going to be. I think uh, she, uh, Sarujete Kapil, is expected to, is expected to win the vice presidency. The question is going to be who is going to be her, uh, who is she weeping for? And I think uh, it is increasingly showing that Ferdinand Bombong uh, Marcos Jr., son of the late dictator Ferdinand Marcos, is going to be her running mate. And that, you know, so that you're going to see is coming, the coming together of two political dynasties yet again in Philippines. And We'll see who else is going to take them on. You know, we, uh, Manny Pacquiao is, will be the person who has already declared that he wants to, you know, bring the jabs down to the political dynasties. We'll see. I'm sure this is, this is just going to set the stage for a very, very interesting presidential election. Well, thanks very much. We've been speaking with Leslie Lopez, regional correspondent for The Straits Times. Leslie, you take care and stay safe. Thank you so much. The Asian Insider Podcast channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us.